Lord. May we know your living word, Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you all so much for the warm welcome that you have given me here in the past month. I really look forward to getting to know all of you more as we live out our faith in God together as a community. As we come to know the little things about each other, like what your favorite breakfast is and the community breakfast hour. As we come to know the bigger things about each other, like who are important people in your life? I thought I'd start this morning by sharing with you about somebody who's been significant in my life. It was my papa, my father's father, Lester Neiman. He was a German, a South St. Louisan, and he grew up in the Great Depression, the only child of a widow. Times were not easy, but his toughest days were ahead. He graduated from St. Mary's High School and joined the Navy as a volunteer to serve in World War II. He was an officer in the South Pacific, and he had frightening responsibility. He was charged with visually identifying whether planes approaching the fleet were enemy planes or not. Those were the times of the kamikaze. If you wrongly identified a plane as one of yours and did not order it fired on, your ship would be bombed and you and hundreds of your shipmates would perish. If you identified a plane as Japanese and you were wrong, your own men would be shot down. As my grandfather strained his eyes into the night skies to identify planes, he could not rely on relationships or money or possessions or his St. Mary's education to save him. He was completely vulnerable with an awesome responsibility, and it was terrifying. In today's gospel, Jesus is in a similarly vulnerable space. While he's not on the deck of a World War II battleship in the South Pacific, he is alone, exposed, <laughs> under attack, and vulnerable, with a terrifying mission looming before him. Jesus is vulnerable for a few reasons. First, the Gospel of Luke is largely silent about Jesus' life until the story of his baptism, which immediately precedes today's Gospel. Jesus lived without much worth writing about. But now, who? Oh, now his cousin John the Baptist is preaching throughout the countryside about him, and then, as John baptizes him, God's voice cries out from the skies in my favorite translation, you are my son whom I dearly love. In you I find happiness. This may be a literal voice from the heavens, or perhaps a literary technique used to describe the community's recognition of Jesus' special calling. But in either case, what's clear is that it isn't Jesus leaping in front of the crowd saying, I'm ready to proclaim the kingdom. Let's get going. Come on. No, it's others. It's John, God's very self, the community, 
They name him a spirit-filled leader. This new recognition places Jesus in an emotionally vulnerable space when he flees to the desert. The desert, too, makes Jesus vulnerable. Vulnerable physically. He's isolated, cut off from the resources of both nature and society, and he's been there for 40 days. He is starving. And so, just like my grandfather in World War II, Jesus was emotionally exposed and physically vulnerable. It is into this situation that Jesus meets the devil, not just three times, but over and over in 40 days. He wrestles in this time with profound questions, questions that are not unlike the questions that we wrestle with. Should I forget this call to ministry and just think about making my daily bread, my daily living, my quiet life? How should I employ the notoriety and power that I'm gaining in the community? And finally, will God be there with me and for me? With each question, Jesus answers Satan with a simple and similar answer. I place my trust in God. At Ash Wednesday services, Mike's sermon encouraged us to see Lent as a time to practice paying attention. And this is precisely what Jesus models for us in the gospel today, when he turns his attention to God after every temptation. But Jesus doesn't turn toward God with some garden variety response like, hey, God will provide. Instead, Jesus quotes the book of Deuteronomy. So he is trusting not only in God, but in the centuries-long relationship that his people, Israel, has with God. By the third temptation, Satan's on to him, and he's figured out that Jesus' answers all center on his community's experience of God. And so the devil, too, quotes scripture as he tempts Jesus to jump from the pinnacle of the temple. This reminds us, as theologian James Cone writes, that the Bible is not a blueprint for discerning God's movement in the world. It is not self-interpreting. Scripture requires our critical reflection. And the most important question we can ask as we interpret it is, is this scripture being used to liberate? The devil used scripture to trap Jesus. But Jesus employed the tradition of his people in a way that freed him from temptation. Placing trust in God empowered Jesus to go out and to begin his ministry, to face the terrifying mission of bringing God's liberating news of the kingdom to a broken world. The very next verses after this story of the temptation read, Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and he began to bring the good news to the poor, release to the captives, and to let the oppressed go free. Liberation. Through this story, we learn 
that the opposite of temptation isn't resolve or self-control. It isn't what the dictionary lists, words like dislike and repulsion. The opposite of temptation is trust. The opposite of temptation is trust in something bigger than we are. Trust in God. Trust that liberates us to live out our call in the world. We need not be on the deck of a World War II battleship or alone and famished in the desert to experience vulnerability. Unbeknownst to me until my early childhood was that my grandfather suffered from depression and that at times that depression exceeded any terror that he had known in the war. But although he was mightily challenged, he never lost confidence in God. Each of us has places and seasons of vulnerability, and I am confident that in the midst of those vulnerable spaces, each of you, like my grandfather and like Jesus, have experiences of trusting God. When was that time? Or where is that space in your life right now where you are vulnerable? But trust. Go ahead. Think of it. Name it. Whisper it to yourself right now. But I'm equally as sure that we also have those vulnerable spaces and seasons where we do not trust God. Instead, we rely on our own skills. What is that place for you? Again, think of it. Name it. And whisper it to yourself. How could you bring that first experience of trusting God to that place of distrust? We can cultivate practices that allow us to build trust in God. Jesus showed us one today. We can turn to the communion of believers who have come before us and left us with a written record, written testimony in scripture and other literature. We can also pray. In her book, Help, Thanks, Wow, author Anne Lamott models a magnificent prayer of trust. She writes, Hi God, I'm just a mess and it's all hopeless. What else is new? I would be sick of me if I were you, but miraculously, you are not. I know that I have no control over other people's lives, and I hate this. Yet I believe that if I accept this and surrender, you will meet me wherever I am. Wow. Can this be true? If so, how's this afternoon, say, two-ish? Thank you in advance for your company and blessings. You have never once let me down. Amen. This trust prayer acknowledges that we are clueless, but God knows. This prayer does not require turning to page 850 in the Book of Common Prayer. It comes from the moment and from the heart. Another way to cultivate trust is to examine 
the tiny, seemingly mindless things that surround you each day. For example, how many times a day do you enter in a password? Into phones, email, house alarms. What do those numbers and words say about where you place your trust? If you changed some of them so that hundreds of small moments a day told you and reminded you to trust in God, what would that be like? In Liturgy of the Ordinary, Sacred Practices in Everyday Life, author Tish Harrison Warren explores attending to God in the daily routine of life. In Warren's vision, losing our keys, sitting in traffic, answering emails, making our bed, all become invitations to turn our attention to God. We cultivate attention, which breeds relationship and trust so that when temptation comes and it asks, can you really count on God? Are you sure? We can meet that temptation with its opposite, trust, and answer with a firm yes, I am sure. A yes that propels us into the world to live our mission. <coughs> Amen. Amen.